Holy Spirit, fill each and every one of us with your grace and your truth. And as we look at this, although be it a familiar passage to many of us, I pray you would speak new truths into our hearts to encourage us so that, Lord, as we walk through these 40 days, you would transform us by the renewing of our minds and the warming of our hearts by your word. For we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, once again, welcome, my friends, to Lent 2019. Lent is all about joining together as God's people, examining ourselves and our walks, and considering the suffering and death of our Lord Jesus Christ, denying ourselves, sustaining ourselves in Jesus Christ alone, so that we may run the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we gain great hope and strength from that. And so wherever you are today, no matter where you are and you walk with Jesus, maybe you're one of those people who really anticipated Lent. You planned it all out. You're at 7.30 a.m. Ash Wednesday service. You were way ahead of the game. You did all the things and you're well under your way. Good for you. Awesome. You know? Or maybe you're a latecomer, you know, you kind of found yourself here today and said, is Lent? Yeah, it is, and it's a period of self-examination. It's a period of, to look at our walks with the Lord. It's a period to look at some hard truths. Do we really believe this? Do we really believe this? Because if we do, it changes everything. That's what Lent's about. And I got good news for both categories. You are welcome. You're in a good place this morning as we open up Luke's gospel. And I invite you to do that today because this is a crucial passage for our day, my friends. Absolutely crucial. Because as we ask ourselves the Lenten questions, what areas of fear are hindering me from walking fully in my relationship with Jesus? What areas of pride are hindering me from walking fully in a relationship with Jesus? How would I articulate my need for Jesus? This passage assists us in those questions. Because we live in a culture that says our temptations are our identity. That our orientations, oh, just follow them, whether they're good or bad according to the scripture, doesn't matter, you know? I follow them because that's how God made me, right? You've heard that argument. Well, not only for our parents and for those of us of college-age kids and down, is this important? It's important for us all, my friends, because we all tend to find our identities in something else other than Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at this and we're going to see how Jesus dealt with temptation. Because what we discover here in this passage is the reality of the devil. Two, the strategies of the enemy. And three, Jesus' strategy to combat it. All right? Those three things the reality of the devil, the strategies of the devil, and our strategy so that we can overcome the temptations that are thrown at us. First of all, let's look at this. We see it right at verses 1 and 2. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, 
returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. All right? I wonder what you think about that. We have an enemy. Scripture tells us that we wrestle with the devil, the world, and our own flesh. It's a reality throughout Scripture that the devil is a real person who has real influence if we allow it. You know, in World War II, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR, was a great president in many ways, but like most people in the mid-20th century highly educated population, they believed that evil and the devil was really more of a sociological condition, an educational condition, a natural explanation, and that if people or nations were violent or cruel or evil, it was either because they were desperate for better living conditions or it's because they had been mistreated. All you really needed to do, according to that view, was to have an enlightened educational system, bring about some economic policies and bring economic prosperity to the region, and everyone would live together most generously in utopian with unicorns and peppermint sticks. And did you know when FDR and the high government officials first heard of the Holocaust, that millions of Jews were being slaughtered, they wouldn't believe it. It's not that they didn't have the evidence before them, they wouldn't believe it because of that belief. Did you know that? Now near the very end of FDR's life, and near the end of World War II, of course, is the true story that when FDR would go up to his weekend house in upstate New York, to one of the young ministers, he actually mentioned that he was reading Christian theology. He's particularly Soren Kierkegaard and some other philosophers and theologians about the subject of original sin and the reality of the devil. And he said to the minister that he was finally coming to understand that the devil is a real person and has real influence in the world because what he had seen over his presidency is beyond explanation. Because he couldn't understand how the most educated country on the face of the planet, that a culture that gave us the research university, that invented modern scholarship to a great degree, so cultured and so educated, how could the Germans do such evil? It seemed impossible. But then he actually said, by reading about original sin about reading about supernatural evil embodied in Satan, he was beginning to understand. Whenever you get into a place where you think you can reduce evil to educational, biological, psychological, sociological conditions and factors, and we can fix it and we can manage it, you're up for tragedy. All you got to do is look back at the 20th century. Look back at today. It's still going on. For the scripture, the full counsel of the word of God mentions that we wrestle with the world, which means our culture, those around us. Our culture has voices which speak into our minds, falsehoods, 
beliefs, which are sheer bondage, as opposed to what the Word of God says is perfect freedom. We have our own nature. Today's culture calls it our own orientations. Ways that we're naturally bent. Lady Gaga, God made me that way. I was born this way. Yeah, lady, it's called sin. Of course we are. We have our own flesh that we wrestle with. And my friends, we, there's a devil that mysteriously somehow orchestrates it all. Him and his minions would like nothing more just us to believe that he doesn't exist. Read the screw tape letters, my friends, by C.S. Lewis. If, he, if you don't believe that, he's one. But when you do recognize it, and you recognize the influence and the demonic around the world, combined with the world, combined with our natural orientations, we come to understand that this is a reality. Do you understand the depth and complexity of evil? The Bible does. And so does Jesus. Two, let's look at the strategies of the enemy. We see these three temptations that are going on, don't we? And notice, he doesn't go to Jesus and say, I want you to go steal from First National Bank of Jerusalem. I want you to go have sex with that prostitute over there. Isn't she beautiful? Why don't you go break the obvious Ten Commandments, right? He doesn't do that. Because he's taking good things and holding them up as ultimate things. So first he says, you know, uh, verse 3, the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command the stone to become bread. Aren't you hungry, Jesus? Use your miraculous power to turn these stones into bread. Is there anything wrong with bread, friends? No. Anything wrong with food? No. Second thing, Verse 5, the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory for it's been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If then you will worship me, it will be yours. Now, many of us, if we were challenged with that, we'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. This would be a problem for us. You know, because we're not cut out to be king or queen of the world, really, are we? Jesus was. He came to be king of the world. So what he's being offered here is a good thing. And third, he says, take him to the pinnacle of the temple, the top of the temple. He said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written that he twists scripture he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Throw yourself off this pinnacle, Jesus, and let the world see the miraculous way that God bears you up. It'll be quite the show, better than anything Iron Man could do. Are these bad things? Nope. But in each case, Jesus would have to disobey his father in order to get these things. 
So you say, what's so disobedient about turning stone to bread? Well, Jesus never acted like that. You know, it might be raining, him and his disciples are walking down the path, and all of a sudden a rainstorm broke out. Jesus didn't say, umbrella, and a huge umbrella just covered them all. He didn't do that. For Jesus never used the power for himself. He always used it for others. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As we learned in Mark a few years back. Therefore, it is a complete denial of that way in which he's supposed to use his power. Secondly, what's wrong with getting all these kingdoms of the world? Well, the problem only is Satan is saying you can get these kingdoms of the world right now without going to the cross. Because the cross was his mission. And Satan wants to get him off that mission. I can give you all this, but you'd have to disobey your father if you do this. Any good thing that's more important than God, that is what Satan is trying to do in your life. He wants you to see these are good things. They're not bad. Don't you want these things? Of course, you've got to disobey God to get them. And you, when we do that, we're making them more important than God. We're giving in. Any good thing that's more important than God in your life becomes a demonic force in your life. You're aligning yourself with the forces of evil and you're aligning yourself with the forces of destruction. If you take any good thing and you elevate it, so that it's at the level of God or above, it's an idol. And it's really more important than God. For example, I have had many a people at Jake's say to me, yeah, I used to go to church, I used to believe in God, but then I asked him for this or that, he didn't give it to me. What good is it to serve God if I don't get, you know, what I want? So I just walked away. Honestly, friends, we all do that. We all do that to one degree or another. And if you put your children over God, you put your spouse over God, you put your career over God, your politics over God, your social cause over God. I mean, we see it all the time in modern day 21st century parenting, right? It drives you. You have to have your kids have this opportunity or that opportunity. They got to be in the scouts, great students, great athletes, great musicians, everything. And we get on the mouse wheel and we start to run. And it gets faster and faster and faster. And then you get so fast that you don't think you can get off. And you can do this with anything, right? Our careers, hobbies passions, they're good things. But we've made them ultimate things. And when we do that, we'll go to great lengths to maintain it. We'll be immoral, unethical, even break the law if we have to. And it fills us with angst, bitterness, and anybody who tries to stop us or tell us that we're not doing it the way we should. 
No, my friends, any good thing that's more important than God becomes demonic. And that you can see that in the way Satan assaults Jesus three, these three times. He uses temptation, accusation, and he'll make something good and make it a God substitute in your life if we allow him. So that's his strategy. So how do you defeat it? Well, in times of great temptation like Jesus, he hasn't eaten for 40 days. I had a friend who planted Young Life in Ambridge, Pennsylvania. Have you ever been to Ambridge, Pennsylvania? It's a ugly, rust belt, depressing place. The only thing that's really nice about Ambridge, Pennsylvania is Trinity School for Ministry. And the reason we planted Trinity there is because property was cheap. It's the only reason they went to Ambridge. Jason Smith was planting a Young Life area because he just his heart broke as he came to seminary for these kids of Ambridge who were walking around just absolutely lost. He fasted for 40 days. I, we were blown away. Four years later, there's 50 kids meeting in a small Ambridge basement. The houses are like this far apart. You can reach to the window and touch the other house, you know? And in the basement of these homes, and they're, they're, they were built in 1910 for, for factory workers. They got 50 kids crammed in an apartment, and everybody said, it will young life will never fly here. Jason believed it's because he dedicated it, and he did it God's way. It can be done. But Jesus is hungry, greatly stressed. And what does he do to defeat temptation? He uses scripture. It's just who he is. The first temptation, verse 3, devil says, uh, you hungry? Why don't you eat? Turn these stones into bread. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. Second temptation. You know, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. That's Deuteronomy 6.13. Yeah, when he's on the cross, he quotes Psalm 22.1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's scripture. And as he breathes his last breath, think about this thought. As he takes his last breath, he quotes Psalm 31, 5. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. There's the reason when he automatically, when crisis hit, goes to the word of God. It guides him and empowers him to do the Father's will. Now, there's nothing magic about the Bible it's not as if you put a Bible around your neck that, you know, it's like a horror film. All the, the demons that are coming at you like Dawn of the Dead are going to run away. Ah! It doesn't work like that. Jesus Christ knows it's the message of the Scripture is where the power is for us in battling temptation. It is written, verse 8, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. He's not quoting just any old scripture there, my friends. Right? He's saying to the devil, you're a liar. You're lying. 
you're telling me if I put this thing above God, everything will be okay, and that's a lie. That's idolatry, and it's damaging, and it destroys me and everyone in his path. Because the reality is Satan cannot hurt us. In fact, nobody can hurt us if we can get this truth deep down into our hearts and not believe the false and lies of the world, our own orientation, and the devil. You know, whatever your most fundamental beliefs are, that determines how you think and how that drives you, right? Right? Okay? And when you're unsettled, you know, when we're thinking about these things, what comes out is our childhood. Your old man who said, you're never going to amount to anything. And you say, oh yeah, I'll prove you wrong. And then you're 70 years old, still trying to prove to your dad he's been dead for 50 years that he's wrong. Right? But when you get the word of God deep down into your heart, the only thing that's gonna you have to please is your heavenly Father who loves you with an everlasting love. Because the world comes along and says, you know, if you're thin, everybody will love you. If you get 1,500, 1,600 on your SATs, then, then you'll be an academic success. You have a certain amount in your bank account, then you can relax. Satan comes and puts these things deep down into us. The world comes and puts these things deep down into us. Our own orientation, the flesh, puts this thing deep down into us, and they're all a lie. Because what happens is, all we're trying to do then is trying to prove to ourselves. They're not lying, but they are. And when you think about it, why is it that Satan didn't try to get Jesus to break one of the Ten Commandments? Because he didn't mind if Jesus came to be just a moral model to follow. That would have been perfectly acceptable to Satan. He didn't mind if we looked at Jesus and said, you know, I'm a good God-fearing American. You know, I, 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 I don't drink, I don't cuss, I don't do everything. I'm going to live like Jesus. Then everything will be just fine and dandy. Because as long as you live like that, you're trying to save yourself and Satan's got gotcha. you. Okay? As soon as someone says, I'm a good God-fearing American, you can know two things. Number one, they don't know God and they don't fear God. Right? No, as long as Jesus is your example, Satan has you right where he wants you. And you'll be insecure, you'll be afraid, and you'll always be trying to prove yourself because deep down inside you're believing that lie which says, I'll be significant, I'll be secure when I accomplish blank. The thing that Satan wanted to stop Jesus from doing all along was go to the cross. And the real test was not the test in the desert. The real test was in the Garden of Gethsemane, where, all alone, by himself, this was the opportune time for Satan. Did you catch that in Luke? He waited for the opportune time. Right before he was about to go to the cross the night before, he comes and he tempts Jesus again. 
Jesus knew what he was about to do, to take the cup of God's divine wrath that was ours to drink. He took it for us upon the cross. Think of that. God taking all the wrath of the Father onto himself that's ours deservedly so that we can know him and walk in fulfilling lives that we've been called to and have an abundant eternal life with him. That was a test. And Jesus didn't want to do it. But he said, not my will, but yours be done, Father. If you see him not as your example, but as your Savior like this, dying for you, that's the one thing the devil does not want you to see. And doesn't want you to understand, because if you see Jesus going to the cross from you, temptation flees. You remember, oh yeah, Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh yeah, 1 Corinthians 10, there's no such sin as such as common to man. Everybody has dealt with this all the time, and he'll provide the way out for me if I will cling to the cross. Because, you see, your sin is serious. So serious that Jesus had to go to the cross for it. Your sin is not a light thing. And Satan knows that if you see that, and it gets down deep into your heart, it's going to be hard for him to tempt you. But also, when you see that Jesus died for you, even when you screw up, you see that God still loves you. That's what Lent's all about. That there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then there's the end of accusations, too. Let that sink deep down into your heart, brothers and sisters. For those loved ones and friends and family who aren't here, tell them deep down in their hearts, get this today. He's your savior, not your substitute. Okay? He's, your, he's not your example, rather. He is your substitute. He's your savior. We tend to live our lives like Sailors on a boat with an evil captain. Just imagine we're all on a ship. We're all sailors on a ship out in the Atlantic Ocean. And we got the worst captain in the world. You know, when, when one of us make a mistake, he throws someone overboard. You know? He's absolutely terrible human being. And we hate him. But we can't do anything about it because he's the captain. And all of a sudden, one morning over the horizon, we see a helicopter coming over. Helicopter lands on our battleship, and out comes a new captain with a squad of Marines. And they arrest the evil captain and slap him in the brig. And the new captain says, it's all right, ladies and gentlemen, you're free. Go about your duties. Well, a couple of days later, he lets that evil captain out because he's going to the brig once we get back to Norfolk. And all of a sudden, that evil captain starts barking orders at you. You, swab the deck. You, climb the sail. You, he starts barking out orders. And all of a sudden, these sailors go, yes, sir. And they start obeying him. And the captain comes along and says, why are you obeying him? He has no authority over you. You're under my command now, not his. Don't listen to him. And I'm going to let him run around. I want to frustrate him. 
by seeing my sailors walk in the perfect freedom that's found in me. That's who we have in Christ, my friends. So in closing, here's some questions for you. Number one, are you somebody who wrestles with the reality of the devil? You don't wrestle with the world. You don't wrestle with the flesh or our orientation. But you wrestle, wrestle with the reality of Satan. Jesus mentioned Satan a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, I would encourage you to change your worldview. Secondly, if you say I'm a Christian, yet basically haven't seen the radical, costly grace of Jesus Christ for you upon the cross, and how completely accepted you are because of what Jesus has done, then you're still going to find temptation, accusation, still has a lot of power over you. And last, ladies and gentlemen, if Jesus Christ did not think he could handle life without knowing scripture, how in the world do you think you are? If Jesus Christ did not think that memorizing and meditating, having it deep into his soul, dominating his thoughts, he knew it inside out. It knew him inside out. And when it came to those stressful times, that's what just came out of him. How, what in the world makes us think that we can handle life and the stresses of our days? Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. Let's get it into us. And let's recognize the, that there is a Satan. Recognize he has strategies. We know what they are. He has no power over us. Because we have a risen, crucified, captive and king. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful once again for this day. Grateful for the victory we have in you, Lord Jesus. And because of that victory, we can walk in the perfect freedom that is flourishing in the gospel. I pray that each and every one of us would find it, that perfect freedom. Find it what flourishing in this gospel truly means this Lenten season. And as we're assaulted, no matter where we are on our journeys, that you would receive the honor and glory to your holy name as we do so. For we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.